So growing up a child of the 50s um, in the Bible Belt South, heard a whole lot about miracles, usually from televangelists who would wanting to pat their TV screen while you send them $5. And um, never quite rang true to me, uh, quite honestly. Um, I didn't understand that. And then, of course, as you grow and change, and particularly going into science like I did in medical school, I kind of began to struggle with the notion of how God acts in the world, and in particularly how God acts in the world of health care. A movie came out uh, in the 60s, great movie, if you've never seen it, it might be worth a refresher course in miracles. Robert Duvall wrote, starred, and directed a movie called The Apostle. Great movie of a man struggling with faith, struggling with identity, and struggling with the reality of how God works in a broken and fallen world. So I want to use that as a starting point to explore the world of miracles through three separate lenses. One is poems, one is prayers, and finally, promises. See, I think miracles uh, in, in seminary, and I'm, maybe Robert heard this phrase too, they taught us what miracles ended with the end of the apostolic era. In other words, when the first generation of, of uh, apostles passed away, God no longer had a need to act and work in the world in curious and mysterious and powerful ways. And that quite never rang true to me either. Why would God talk to us for a millennium or more and then all of a sudden say, okay, I'm done speaking. You figure this out on your own. I would say that miracles have the possibility to move us closer to God and closer to each other. Miracles, I believe, are nothing more than a love poem from God a wake-up call to bring us into the possibility of what it means to be in a holy relationship. Prayers is the love language of God. It's how God speaks to us. It's not turning God into a cosmic Santa Claus where we give him a wish list of things we want and things we expect. Prayers are not transactional. They're relational. Relational. It allows us to enter into a conversation with holiness when it breaks into our life in curious and unexpected ways. The promise God gives us in prayers is not that we will get our wishes, but that we will be transformed and we will move into a relationship, not, in, not only with each other, you and me and each other, but into Him. Some theologians have said um, that miracles are curious ways of God getting our attention. You know, in the Bible, there's really, it's quite interesting when you look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's roughly 80-something instances of miracles in both the Old and the New Testament. So that's 160 episodes of what we would be described as out of the ordinary, things you don't expect. And there, these different miracles generally are, can be described in four ways. One of healing, one of miracles over nature, breaking water out of stone, manna from heaven, walking on water, exorcisms, but finally restoration or healing. I think that's a curious thing that what we expect out of life is so limited. We expect miracles to be some kind of a big cosmic bang where we get our want, wish, and then, oh yeah, we have an aha moment. 
And I think more often than not, miracles are around us every day. We just have lost our moral vision, our, our imagination, our ability to see the miracles all around us. But I want to talk for just a few minutes about a particular type of miracle because I think it affects how we pray and what we pray for. And that are miracles of healing. We heard this very curious, long story uh, today in our reading about healing. Now you have to remember that healing is not the same as curing. Curing is a biological term. If I break my leg and a surgeon puts a plate or puts me in a cast and the bone grows back together, that may be healing, but it is definitely curing. That's a biological term. Healing is a bigger term. It, it implies that there's something bigger going on than just the success or failure of our biology. I spoke at a conference once uh, at UTMB, my medical school, in Galveston with a man named Larry Dossie. And Larry had written a book on healing and prayer. He, the book was titled Healing Words, The Power and Practice of Prayer in Medicine. And in this conference, Larry talked a whole lot about the studies of healing or, and the power of prayer. And there's actually, it's pretty remarkable, there's over six or 700 articles in scientific literature about the power and efficacy of prayer. And unfortunately, what they chose to do is only measure, report on things they can measure. Plant growth, cell movement, different scientific paradigms. And I, Larry and I got into quite a, a discussion about how we can measure prayer. And his point was, well, there are studies that show that prayer works. When you, you look at all these studies collectively, the response rate is about 30 to 35%. That's not bad, but it's not great. I think our problem was with the way we defined healing. One of the other things that Larry's work pointed out that created quite a stir when I was teaching on this at Baylor and undergraduates is that prayer seems to be generic in terms of the notion of healing. When we actually look in these studies, the prayer of a Hindu or a Muslim or a Jew and a Christian all had the same success rate. And my students at Baylor often didn't like to hear that. They thought their prayers were superior to other prayers. I think the problem that I pointed out in this conference isn't that prayer works or doesn't work, is that we've missed the mark when we defined it strictly in terms of biological outcomes. Prayer is about being transformed into something holy, something relational. This notion of healing is interesting linguistically. Two, two old words you might want to think about, hailen, H-A-E-L-E-N, the old English word for healing, means to be brought together again, to take our brokenness and be made whole. It has nothing to do with survival. It's to be made whole again in God's image. The other word that's interesting about healing is the Latin word salvus, S-A-L-V-U-S. We think of being a salve being a balm on a wound. Salvation, salvus, is the root word for salvation. But in this usage, it has nothing with eternal life, not a ticket to eternity, not winning the lotto by checking the right box. Salvation is about entering into a journey into God. And that's what we do every day in the presence or absence of miracles. 
I was talking when, with Larry Dossey about this, and you know, in, ba in baseball, if you hit a batting average of 333, you've had a pretty good season. In prayer life, we can't define it by what our cosmic scorecard is. We define it by how we're transformed into something better. It raises great questions for this whole notion of our, spirit, our, our prayer life, but also of theodicy. Theodicy is the, the question that theologians and philosophers have struggled with for decades and, and thousands of years. If, if God is all good, and if God is all powerful, then why do bad things happen in the world? And how do we redeem those bad things? How do we live through them? How do we become transformed by them? And I think that's a great question. I've heard over the decades many patients lead me to, to write a little book that one day might be published called Bad Bedside Theology. <laughs> Why did this happen to my child? I prayed hard. Why did he not survive? I think these are issues of promises. God didn't promise that we will be saved from bad things. He did promise that we will be changed by bad things. We'll be transformed by them into a different and newer life. I think the difference to the, the, is that we are trained in a world of what, what I call a Newtonian world. You remember the story about Isaac Newton and Apple falling, hit him on the head, and he thought, well, that, that's odd. There must be something going on here, some power, and he called that power gravity. We live in a world that we're trained to see things in logical, explainable events. But that limits our imagination. That limits our ability to see. Quantum mechanics is, without going into the details of it, it's the understanding that all things are related. The flapping of a butterfly wings in Aspen Valley can be measured if you had a significant large enough instrument on the other side of the planet. That doesn't make sense. But yet, this whole notion of life is interrelated opens us up to the possibility of miracles that happen every day. They're not just once in a lifetime, once in a generation uh, event. I think our moral imagination is stunted, quite honestly. We, we've lost our ability to see the glory and the miracles in the everyday life. I'll tell you a couple of quick stories just to make this point of how we look for and how we experience medical, uh, medical miracles or miracles in general. I had this wonderful patient, a rancher from Valley Mills, a small town outside of Texas, had bad heart disease, he was dying. His daughter was also a patient of mine, but a school teacher, and she would come in like school teachers do with spreadsheets, and you know we would figure out all the boxes and try to put things in the right parameters. And he was getting worse. And I finally, in the winter, came to him and said, John, what do, you, what do you want now? He said, I want to live to see my calves in the blue bonnets one more time. When he expressed that to me, I knew that I had to move out of trying to get him to live his life in a box of numbers that represented his heart disease, but in terms of living life in a relationship with the land that he loved. I said that and understood that, he got better. I couldn't understand it, but he lived until the spring, 
He saw his calves in the blue bonnet fields one more time, and then he passed away peacefully in the night. One more story. I was in the CCU one night, and the patient came in in full-blown cardiac arrest. We did CPR for over an hour. We'd injected his heart with epinephrine or adrenaline directly into the heart muscle. And after 45 or 50 minutes, he was essentially brain dead. His pupils were fixed and dilated. He was having what we call cerebral posturing. I pronounced him dead. The note, the nurse made the annotation in the medical records of the time of death. And I was walking out. I just got this eerie feeling that God wasn't done with him yet. So I walked back in and told the nurse, let's do CPR for five more minutes. Trust me. And she looked at me like I was crazy, which she had a right to think. But we did CPR for another five or ten minutes. His heart stabilized. He woke up the next day and was extubated. Went home a few days later and ran his business for 25 more years. His daughter, a nurse, became a nurse in my practice. I can't explain what happened that day, but it happened. And I think it happened because we, for the small glimpse in time that we were given, we were aware that something holy was transpiring. In the middle of death, life was reborn. And I think that possibly was a miracle, possibly it was just random luck. But I do believe that God had a hand in that and the whole team was a participant in a miracle. One more short story. Had another patient that was dying of heart disease, German from West Texas, which is a Czech community, profoundly faithful community. And he was dying of heart disease. But as I discussed this with him over a few months, I began to realize that he had something else that was another story underneath the story of his heart disease. And it was a struggle he had had with forgiveness of himself. He had a son in the early days of the AIDS epidemic that was dying of AIDS. And he had rebuilt his relationship with the son, but he had never forgiven himself for the experience that his son had perceived when the son became ill with his own illness. The son felt rejected. So once we kind of worked through that notion of forgiveness and healing and miracles at the bedside, man's heart disease went away. He literally did not have to see me anymore. Once he learned to re-love his son, to forgive himself, the whole new world of healing opened up to him. So to me, the surprise isn't that there aren't miracles. The surprise is they're all around us. We just don't see them. They're here every day. We've lost our vision. We've lost our ability to see the glory of God in the presence of the small daily affairs of life. I'll close with a poem from my favorite poet and my favorite poem. This is called The Peace of Wild Things by... Wendell Berry, who I listened to when I was in my training at the University of Kentucky. I would sneak over from rounds in the morning to hear him do poetry readings. So that just shows how strange I am, I guess. Wendell writes, when despair goes in me, 
and I wake in the night at the least sound in the fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water, and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water, and I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting for their light. For a time, I rest in the grace of the world, and I am free. So my prayer, Lord God, is that as we look for your presence in the miracles of daily life, you heal our vision, give us the sight to see your presence as we walk among the wild things, waiting for your grace, waiting for your word, and waiting for the poetry of moving into your love. These things we ask in Christ's name.